Volume Two, Chapter Six of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When the party met at dinner, the simple elegance of Rosaline's engaging figure, divested of those ornaments which a few hours before had been so lavishly put on her by the fingers of taste, appeared far more captivating. Her eyes were illumined with an expression of joy and satisfaction to which they had long been strangers. The change conveyed a train of the most enchanting sensations to the heart of her admiring lover, and did not pass unobserved by her friends. To Sir Philip they carried a silent reproach for having so long robbed them of their lustre. Rosaline was seated between the baron and his son, and though this was the first time Walter had ever dined with so large a party, or witnessed the comforts of a plentiful table laden with the rarities of art and nature, he was neither awkward nor embarrassed. For his friend Albert, to fill up the heavy hours as they slowly crept away during their long and tedious imprisonment, had described to him the manners and customs of the world among all ranks of people with the utmost accuracy and care, and by these means prepared him for scenes which must otherwise have astonished, and in many instances alarmed him. The good Albert was placed between de Clavering and de Willows, who took this opportunity of showing him their most flattering attention, and in consequence he was encouraged to hold a very respectable part in the conversation. As he had before given undeniable proofs of the goodness of his heart, he now unfolded to the company the excellence of his understanding, and convinced them that, if the prisoner had been educated amidst the bustle of the world, he could not have found a better preceptor as to sound judgment and useful knowledge. Thus honoured and happy, he found in part a reward for the integrity and humanity of his conduct, while the approving eye of his grateful master spoke a language which conveyed a joy to his heart that is rarely felt, and cannot be defined. Edwin and de Willows paid every attention to their fair enslavers, no longer fearing the penetrating eyes of the governor, who was too much taken up with the eclaircissement of the morning to suspect any other lovers were present. After the company rose from the table, at the baron's particular request, they went to look into those dreary apartments to which the prisoner had been consigned at his first coming to the castle. Edwin produced the key of the trap-door, and conducted them down the same stairs which he and his trembling companions had descended when they were alarmed by the unusual noises they heard in the lower part of the castle. Every minute circumstance was interesting to the company but to the baron they were connected with a tale that awakened every feeling of his heart. Few, therefore, can be at a loss to guess his sensations when he entered the cold, gloomy, and unwholesome dungeon in which this darling son, the child of his Isabella, had lingered so many months, and was told by Albert that it was far more comfortable and commodious than the one he had been enclosed in many long and tedious years. The baron shuddered with horror, sat down on the humble and uneasy couch which had been Walter's only bed during a long and dangerous indisposition, and again called upon Albert to describe his first interview with Rosaline. The tale was again repeated, and lost none of its effect by repetition. Walter, the tear trembling in his eye as it was fondly bent on Rosaline, grasped her hand and poured out the warm effusions of his grateful and enamoured heart. 
to trace the progress of nature unvitiated by false taste and uncorrupted by guilt is in my opinion said de clavering the most entertaining and instructive history we can read and far more useful is the language it contains than all the crabbed and unfeeling documents of the most studious philosopher who loses the gentle propensities of his nature by snuffing up the dust of ancient libraries till the spiders have woven their cobweb looms in his head and left no space for nature to creep in and show her unadulterated face but in my opinion the chief happiness both of man and woman consists in the knowledge and practice of all the social affections the baron struck with these observations held out his hand to de clavering requesting to be better acquainted with him and apologizing for his former neglect which was chiefly owing to the singularity of his situation which made him behold every man younger than himself with envy and suspicion but now added he i have resigned all my pretensions to the prior claims of my son wishing to atone for my past errors and to prove myself worthy the esteem of all those to whom he owes an obligation to me lord replied de clavering your son owes nothing till a few days back i knew not of his residence in the castle to my respect and esteem i considered him as having a just claim from the first hour i had the honour of being introduced to him i felt a desire to serve him but all i ever did was to accompany him from the castle to the chapel for which i never expected to be pardoned by your lordship but as the lordship offers you his friendship said the giddy and spirited hugh camelford you had better accept it now he is in the humour lords are not always in the mind to be good friends with death and the doctor this essay of elocution obtained the baron's notice and by making every one smile succeeded to his wish camelford thus encouraged gave way to the unbounded cheerfulness of his disposition by again renewing his attack upon his friend de clavering telling him it was high time for him to be prushing away the cobwebs of old bachelorship and become a man of the world otherwise no lady maid or widow would undertake the care of his old pones and the pones of those he had pot out of their graves de clavering who seldom felt himself in the humour to be displeased with his young friend owned that he was as singular in the sentiments as the ladies he was afraid might think him in his manners and appearance you must endeavour to become more modern and like one of us said de willows to be better known cannot fail to secure you a most favourable reception a piece of advice i have often given him myself said sir philip to make our progress through life with credit and advantage to ourselves we must so far become the men of the world as to seek for those favours it is not willing to bestow unsought or unsolicited but for a man to be able to get through it with uninterrupted success replied de clavering i have sometimes thought he must be brought up a rascal from the first i own i should find so many places that would tempt me to halt in my way that i should certainly be prevented reaching the envied and contested goal for before i would submit to have my house crowded with a succession of what might be called good company i would take an inn and in the character of mine host flay a safer and as pleasant a game i should not then be under the necessity of sacrificing my sentiments or more of my time 
and i found answered the purpose of keeping house to accommodate all comers and goers what said camelford would you be peat by a brother doctor because you would not apply a strengthening plaister of goot and smooth warts to make it stick close would you not give the ladies a healing cordial of compliments to reconcile them to their loves of beauty their lapdog or their lover fie man they would not suffer you to talk to their cat what i might be tempted to do or how far i might relax from my system to please the ladies replied de clavering i cannot tell till i become more a man of the world and feel myself more attached to many of its customs but this i do know there are a set of patients to whom i could not sacrifice my own sentiments to obtain the command of their purses for instance can a man who has wasted his youth in vice and debauchery justly complain of a premature old age or ought he to excite the pity of any one who knew the source whence his miseries originated can we sympathize with the man of business who has brought upon himself the torturing paroxysms of a fever by the disappointment of some monopolizing plan the success of which must have been productive of distress and misery to many hundreds of their fellow-creatures can the voluptuary and the drunkard think themselves entitled either to flattery or compassion when their sufferings have been occasioned by eating till they gained a surfeit or by drinking so hard as to make a kind of turnpike road from their stomach to their bowels all in the way of business said edwin instead of quarrelling with the cause you have nothing more to do my good friend but to turn their follies to your own account and do as thousands have done before you make them contribute in some way or other to the good of the community if we were disposed to quarrel with vice and folly every time we encountered them said camelford we should be engaged in a perpetual contest and should only kit broken pones and the plister of contention for our pains true replied the venerable father anselm who till now had observed a placid silence as he listened to the above conversation we should all agree to make the same allowance for the failings and frailties of others as we are inclined to do when we sit in judgment upon our own and rather strive to find excuses than causes to condemn like the blessed master we all unite to serve whose precepts and practice were calculated for the good and happiness of all mankind just so would mine be my dear father said de clavering so far as an erring mortal can be supposed to copy a divine original but i would not flatter people with a belief that i could feel for the miseries entailed by vice as i would for those which originated from any other cause there are moments when i see the patient and virtuous sufferer looking up to me for health and life that i would compound with pleasure to be anything rather than what i am rather said sir philip endeavour to rest satisfied with being what you are the true samaritan the friendly physician who assumes the appearance of misanthropy without having a grain of it in his composition in order to conceal feelings that do honour to his profession and to human nature the baron having looked at everything and asked innumerable questions the party next visited the rooms where edwin and roseline risked so much in daring to remove walter and in which he had so long remained undiscovered by the family here walter himself described in his own artless manner the delight he felt when he for the first time saw the rising sun and contemplated the brilliant scene which the moon and stars presented to his astonished sight 
he mentioned likewise his rapture when first convinced that the fair roseline felt for him a mutual passion he then described the conflicts he endured on the morning when he knew she was really gone to give her hand to another and owned the miseries of that moment surpassed those of his whole life and if thrown into a scale against them would have weighed down all he then adverted to his feelings when he approached the altar and to the awe and respect he felt at the sight of the baron in the evening it was proposed to take a ramble through the gardens belonging to the castle now profusely decorated with all the variegated beauties of the soul-enlivening spring which were on the eve of giving place to the succeeding charms of summer here it was that the happy and grateful walter met such a succession of wonders and delights as rendered the scene doubly pleasing to those who partook in his raptures every flower plant and shrub every tree leaf and vegetable excited his admiration and gratitude the distant fields the rising hills the water the numberless houses all were admired in turn and became the theme of his praise it was a charming world it was a paradise of which he had read the very garden of eden such as our first parents possessed and roseline the magnet which gave such sweet attraction to all he saw and all he should enjoy in it so much was he delighted with the scene it was not till the shades of evening began to approach and throw a gloom over the face of nature that even the gentle admonitions of roseline could prevail upon him to return to the castle like another simon he found liberty too great a blessing too pleasing to be willing to part with it when once he had tasted its soul-reviving influence many of the following days were spent in making excursions round the country and in showing him everything worthy of notice he visited the neighboring towns and villages looked into churches saw the sea and was conveyed on board a ship whose wonderful construction and the vast world of waters on which it so majestically floated awakened every sensation of astonishment he was next indulged by sailing on the river wavenly in an open boat rowed by some of our old english sailors whose rough and cheerful humour gratified and entertained him a horse was likewise procured for him he soon learned to ride and became so fond of the exercise that few days passed without his going some miles about the country his fine figure expressive countenance and conciliating manner his gentleness and unceasing good humour made him an universal favourite and all the inhabitants of bungay welcomed his appearance among them with every testimony of respect joy and satisfaction the baron and his friend sir philip had many consultations respecting the intended marriage of their children whose youth and total ignorance of the world of which walter could scarcely be called an inhabitant rendered it absolutely necessary that he should be properly introduced at court in order to have his birth made known and his right and titles ascertained it was equally necessary that he should become more conversant with the customs and manners of that world on whose stage he was now to make so distinguished a figure and as he had been prevented seeing foreign countries it was a duty the baron thought incumbent upon him to take care he should be well acquainted with his own and instructed in the value of its just and equitable laws which he had caused to lament were sometimes abused by the designs of artful and wicked men though the envy of every other nation in the world 
when these designs were made known to walter the distress it produced is not to be described to be separated from roseline the thought was agony without seeing her every day without being in the same place with her it was not to be borne he should never be able to acquire any knowledge unless the gentle maid to whom he was indebted for life was near and by her soul enlivening presence animated his endeavours while in her smiles he should find a bright reward for the unwearied pains he should not shrink from encountering for her sake roseline was not at all better reconciled to the plan nor more at ease than himself she was apprehensive he might in the great world see some one he liked better than herself she had heard men inconstant and prone to change the heart she had gained in the dungeon of bungay castle might perchance when engaged in the great world surrounded by pleasure and besieged by the bright eyes of beauty stray from her bosom to that of a more lovely and accomplished mistress to a more fond and faithful on it could not be entrusted but as no one she supposed could refuse the attentions of walter she trembled at the idea of being separated these timid fears were not kept from the ear of her lover who in some degree quieted them with that persuasive eloquence which love never fails to bestow on its faithful votaries he inquired if she thought it possible he could be so great a villain as to prefer the beauties of a court to the lovely roseline of bungay castle the gentle being who not only preserved his life but taught him to enjoy it whose unwearied attentions smoothed the bed of sickness removed the veil of ignorance and gave to his unfortunate life the first bright moment it had ever known he vowed if he thought anything he might find in the world could tempt him to forgive her or love her less than he did at that moment he would voluntarily return to his dungeon and never leave it more he earnestly and pathetically petitioned his father and sir philip de morney not to compel him to leave his adored roseline till he was blessed with calling her his own with this request however they could not with prudence comply it was not only right but absolutely necessary he should be publicly acknowledged as the baron's son before his marriage took place to prevent the establishment of his rights being subject to suspicion or litigation against reasons so weighty and just there was no contending and therefore they were obliged to submit though these untaught children of simple nature yielded very reluctantly to a plan which was to secure in their possession all those fascinating enjoyments which the inhabitants of our busy world are continually pursuing and to obtain which without any necessity of compulsion they often make more important sacrifices albert was no longer considered or treated as a servant the baron generously determined as soon as he reached town to give such orders to his attorney as should secure him a genteel independency and as he was no longer distressed with the apprehension of being separated from his beloved master he enjoyed all the comforts with a grateful heart which the liberality of his benefactors bestowed and met with that unfeigned respect from every one who knew the worth and integrity of his character to which he was so justly entitled as audrey was attending to her young lady in her apartment after she had been at the chapel to be married and returned from thence without becoming a bride she as it may be supposed was too full of the occurrences of the day to be silent on the subject every one was talking about but which she did not on her part by any means approve 
knowing what her own feelings would have been on a similar occasion. "'Well, to be sure and certain, miss,' cried she, "'the like of this was never heard since the mincement of the world. "'For to go to church to be married, "'to take the bride's groom in your hand, as a body may say, "'and then come back as you went, without being married at all, "'as I have a virtuous and Christian soul to be saved, "'if I had been involved in such a quandary, "'I would never have left the chapel without a husband, young or old, "'let what would have been the consequence.' people fleer and jeer so about misadventures of this kind and ask ones for bride's cake and talk so indelicately on this subject however don't fret miss it seems you may be married still but for my part i likes it best as it is i think in this instance as you do audrey replied roseline with a difficulty keeping herself from offending the honest-hearted abigail by bursting into a violent fit of laughter "'Yet the baron is certainly a fine-looking old gentleman.' "'Fine feathers make fine birds,' said Audrey. "'But as to his being fine-looking, Christ Jesus, miss, "'to be sure Master Cuford, the blind god of love, "'has made you blinder than himself.' "'Rosaline could no longer preserve her gravity. "'Blind or not blind,' said she, "'I assure you, Audrey, "'I thought the baron looked and talked like an angel "'after we returned from the chapel. "'And what is more?' ugly as you think him i love him dearly and cannot help looking at him with pleasure and delight to be sure said audrey aside the disappointment has turned her head and arranged all her intellects as sure as god is true miss said she you have taken strange vagaries into your head it was but yesterday i thought you were going into a vapid recline as i have heard you mention and now i verily thinks bedlam will be your potion instead of a husband as far as i know i am now in my proper senses cried roseline laughing notwithstanding your prognostics and taking so much pains to convince me of the contrary well well it may be so miss replied the mortified damsel i know but little of gnostics but this i do know there is no recounting for the humour of quality people the young baron however it must be said if poor folks can see and judge is to the full as good as his father. Handsome as you think him, and though he cannot speak to make himself understood, and do not know his right hand from his left, or the moon from a green cheese or young gosling, he may soon be taught to know what's what. He was monstrously frightened when he saw his father, and took him for a necromancer, it seems. You have been strangely misinformed, Audrey, interrupted Rosaline. The young lord is neither so ignorant nor so soon alarmed as you have been taught to believe. I have known him long, and therefore, if you will rely upon my word, I assure you he is one of the most amiable and best of human beings. Well, miss, again continued Audrey, I must think that your brain is cracked, or that love has overset your understanding. For I am told by Pedro, who knows everything about everybody, that till this very blessed day the sweet young gentlemen have been chained down in a dungeon, and never looked upon the face of man, woman, or child, not even the mother who bore him. It was tirely on his account, we all thinks, that the bustle, fuss, and disturbations in the castle originated, and I dare say if the old baron had refused to own him for a son, we should every one of us have been witched into the red sea and drowned as the gyptians were i hope now however the spells will be taken away and we shall see only men and women made of flesh and blood like ourselves for i hate ghosts 
amen cried roseline i trust we shall be very quiet and happy and that neither witches nor evil spirits will have any thing to do with us i say amen again replied audrey for i always likes to pray whenever i see any one else set about it thank god you escaped the claws of the baron i verily thinks i could not have found courage enough to have married him myself roseline rejoiced when her prating attendant bade her good-night and she hoped soon to forget in the arms of sleep both the painful and pleasant events of the day but she now found joy as great an enemy to repose as grief had been the preceding night to find her lover the acknowledged son of her intended husband yet to have his consent the consent of her parents to love walter and be beloved by him to know he was restored to liberty rank and fortune to the protection of a father and herself released from an engagement to which she never had consented it was such a sudden such an unexpected reverse of fortune as she could scarcely prevail upon herself to believe real she had been assured too she should one day be the wife of walter be permitted to live with him see him always and without fear or control be allowed to study and contribute to his happiness it was rapture it was felicity far beyond her hopes having once entered on a train of thinking so delightful to a fond imagination it effectually precluded sleep from shedding its poppies over her pillow besides to have slept would have been for some hours to have lost the pleasure of thinking of walter no sooner did she see the god of day break forth in all its glory from the portals of the east than she quitted her bed never before had she observed the sun so brilliant never before had the face of nature looked so charming every tree which she saw wave its branches had acquired new beauties and even the sturdy and impenetrable walls of the castle seemed to be wonderfully improved with spirits harmonized by love and expectation and a mind enlivened by hope she bent her knee in humble gratitude to that god who said let there be light and it was so with a heart truly sensible of the blessings she enjoyed and thankful for those she was permitted to behold at a distance she fervently prayed that neither walter nor herself might be tempted in the midst of prosperity to forget the useful lessons they had learned in the school of adversity End of chapter six volume two recording by patty cunningham